We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Tom McKay is on the board. Will Erskine booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dave Woodard. Queen Elizabeth was a person who evolved over time and a full life. We can all learn from her ability to listen, have a sense of humor, and do the same. Here's Scott Thompson. Good afternoon. It is 3.08. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton Today. Uh, Eldon John's Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. That was the song he dedicated to her uh, last night when he spoke of... Uh, of the queen and uh and his relationship with her while in toronto on his last show uh last toronto show performing uh here of all places and uh paying tribute to her uh in toronto on stage uh, um, um, on the day of the passing of queen elizabeth who uh also you know we're going to talk about this the one thing the queen did is she loved music and all the royals as well and uh always involved in pop music rock music especially when it comes to charity events and such so i know she would want us to uh, have a great time this weekend at Supercrawl, especially because it's the first full-blown Supercrawl uh, for a couple of years. Let's bring in Tim Potisic, co-owner of Sonic Onion Records, Supercrawl Productions, Because Beer Festival, Mills Hardware, Bridgeworks, and with us now. Tim, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Bet you're busy. I'm great, man. I am great. So uh, a pretty busy day today, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, crazy. <laughs> uh, it's funny that I'm listening to the nil on the radio and I just drove past the nil doing sound check on main stage. So pretty, there you pretty, go. Um, I got That's stereo. Per- there you go. It's perfect. Uh, so, you know, considering what the last two years have been, what's the buzz this year? I mean, are you bursting at the seams? You know it's going to be a good uh, a good weekend, solid weekend for you. What have some of the challenges been of hitting reboot and getting this thing up and running again in, in, in a full-blown scale? Well, there's certainly bumps, you know, we're just little things you forget. It's like, oh, yeah, that goes there. Oh, yeah, that goes there. It's, um, yeah, but you just persevere that, through that little things. And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm knocking on wood and my head at the same time. Um, that uh, we've had very few problems. Things have gone very smooth. We're really, uh, we're really looking good, set up, ready to, ready to roll in a couple hours and excited, very excited. So was there much of a challenge getting back into this and, and specifically keeping this in the public eye over the last two years? I mean, I know you worked hard to do some remote stuff and what have you, um, but how important was it? And, and I know when you were doing that, you were doing some online stuff that actually brought in other eyes to this event. Yeah, I mean, we just did our best to keep ourselves busy, uh, employed, artists employed, doing things, mm-hmm. um, not so much to you know, keep ourselves uh, in the public eye, but to keep artists in the public eye and just support the ecosystem that we live in. So um, we could just do what we could do. Uh, Lots of starts and stops, but we got through it, and here we are. And now that you're ready to start, interest, I mean, is it just like traveling? Everybody wants to get out. Everybody wants to to go to shows. Everybody wants to go to events. Or is there any apprehension? apprehension? Are you expecting? Because, I mean, you know, you got a great weekend, good weather. I'm thinking you might even set a record this year. I, again, never be too presumptuous. Yeah, yeah, I, I do, yeah. I am feeling the uh, the energy for sure. Yeah. Uh, all of us are, all the people that participate in the event, um, and everybody is very excited. So we do expect to have some incredible attendance. We've got incredible weather ahead of us, 
and an incredible lineup of, of things for people to do. So all those Incredibles line up to, uh, you know, incredible. <laughs> all right. So how is this version different? Is it ver- is it different in the sense that you've learned something over the last couple of years? Or is it, man, we're just trying to get down what we've, like you said, remember where everything goes? A lot of things are, you know, that we do, we do consistently each year. We do have a couple interesting, fun surprises. So, you know, that will... Uh, be much different than anybody's seen before. And we always, that's something that we do anyway, always. We're always trying to bring in a couple things that would be, you know, extraordinary. I think the the art is particularly great this year. The family zone is going to be, uh, you know, an eye opener because we do have some really cool things happening there. Um, some incredible talent. And again, you know, we're a very cutting edge festival. So we always like to sort of, you know, ride that edge as far as like the talent that we're booking on the stages and bringing people you know, on stages that you wouldn't necessarily know them as household names. Um, some you would, some you wouldn't, but the ones that are headlining that you don't are uh, the top of the game in Canada and must, there must be, there must see artists. Yeah. You know, you bring up a, you brought up a, an interesting point here. I'm not even sure you, you were, you were aware of it, but and of course you are. Cause you're, <laughs> it's your event, but I think this is what makes this event so cool and so unique. You said it's a family event, but it's cutting edge and many think you can't blend those two. Yeah, you absolutely can. And we do cutting edge things for kids. You know, we want to excite them. We want to do things that make them, you know, it's simple things sometimes, and sometimes it's more complex, you know, art related things, but all, all told, um, you know, the reality is kids and they can, they can, um, they can uh, take more uh, adventure than, you know, most of us can, you know, your eyes are wide open and (laughs) it's just, it ends up creating a vibe for, for everyone. Right. All right. So uh, give us the details, the logistics, when it starts, when it ends and, uh, and an example of some of the great stuff on the main stages in between. Yeah, our first act starts at 5.30 today on the main stage, Dance Troupe, uh, Defining Movement Dance, and then it just goes from there. We have a lot of lot of rock and roll on the main stage tonight, and the, the uh, far stage we have Lido uh, Pimienta, who's headlining. She is incredible, must-see act. Uh, tomorrow, everything from Charlotte Day Wilson to you know local artists, um, Fame Cartel, uh, it's just a hodgepodge elevators playing uh, another incredible local artist, the HPO, the Hamilton Children's Choir, Golden Feather, Sarah Harmer on Sunday. So, like, literally, we have something for everybody all weekend. It's, there's all kinds of different vibes that you can uh, you can enjoy. Tim Potasik with his co-owner, Sonic Onion Records, Supercrawl Productions, Supercrawl, uh, first full-blown edition uh, since the pandemic, uh, starting off in a matter of hours. And if you look at the forecast, it's going to be an absolutely beautiful weekend for all of this. Tim, kudos to you and the staff for uh, bringing this together again and the patience to keep it going. And uh, good luck. I hope you've got great success this weekend. Thank you. Coming up this weekend, brand new shows with Planning Your Financial Future. And uh, Don Fox will be joining us uh, once again on a regular basis uh, coming up on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Lots has happened over the course of the summer. Let's bring in Don, executive financial consultant with the Fox Group, IG Private Wealth Management, and is with us now. Don, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, Scott, doing well. Thanks yourself. So far, so good. So, Don, we've talked about this before. Whenever there's some sort of world event, whether it's a war, whether it's this, that, an election, what have you, what about the Queen and the passing of the Queen? Does that affect the economy in any way? Does it it affect stability in any way? There's, you know, uh, 
generally speaking, there's really no effect when any political leader or any anybody such as that, uh, and even the queen, which is above political leaders because she's overseen many of them over her. Tenure. Yeah, really. But uh, yes, no, nothing really affects. Uh, it, there, it's so nice to have. It was nice to have that kind of oversight of the queen on the Commonwealth and certainly um, the UK because um, she's gone through so much over the years. But more than simply, you know. It, she gave a comfortable feel for, if you yeah. will, but she didn't really do anything in terms of moving the markets. And it always comes back down to how profitable is a company. And that, that really is what moves the markets. So uh, a few stories over the course of the summer. Uh, the big one, of course, interest rates going up just this past week. Your thoughts, how obviously many uh, financial people are saying this is needed, but how big a pinch is this going to be for us? Yeah, it's been a it's been an onward spiral up, and you know you go back to really a March of this year, and it started to rise, and they started with little baby steps, so, you know, point two five percent increase, thinking that okay, this you know inflation might be somewhat temporary, uh, is what they actually said back in December of last year, and they said, oh maybe it isn't, so we'll just raise it up a bit. Well, then they raised it by a half a percent in April, half percent in June, a full percent in July. And then up another 0.75 in just last week, which brought it up to a 3% increase so far this year. And yes, it's starting to have in its effect. Uh, you're, you're seeing it particularly in the real estate market where mortgages um, and those on variable mortgages right now, um, they're seeing their mortgage payments either go up or they're not paying off any of the principal anymore. They're paying almost mm. all interest only now. So it's you're seeing the uh, you know houses outside the GTA, um, Hamilton included. I just read in the Spectator this week that uh, the average house in Hamilton wasn't long ago was selling for just over a million. It has yeah. now dropped under eight hundred thousand. So that's uh, that's over a twenty percent decrease. And you're seeing that all over out just outside the GTA. Toronto is slightly less; it's around eighteen percent, but still, um, that is really triggered by the increase of interest rates. And when you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars, uh, that adds up. Uh, I remember you brought something up. When this all started, some said this was temporary. What the heck happened there? <laughs> yeah, and I, I like to blame this one on Trudeau, but I can't. It, uh, it was all the leaders. You know, the U.S. said this was temporary. The mm. U.K. said it was temporary. It was like, okay, this is just a blip because of all the influx of cash. Like yeah. in Canada, there was 30%. Um, increase in our money supply in two years because of the pandemic funding yeah. of how much they helped the economy. And the U.S. was actually more than 30 percent. So they printed out, printed more than 30 percent of all the dollars we've ever had just went into the economy. So that has an inflationary effect of having that much money in all the hands of the population of Canada and the rest of the world for that matter. So, yeah, so it they thought it would just be a bubble. It would work its way through. It's turned out to be a lot more than a bubble. And so now they really do not want it to get out of control. So they are putting the brakes with a little bit of pain and the pain is higher interest rates at this time. So I know you don't have a crystal ball and you hate when I ask these questions, but where do you see this going in the next year or so? I mean, are we going to see double digit inflation? Are we going to see uh, anything in the double digits? And I cringe just to hear that or, or to think of that. But uh, or, or are we getting too close to the peak? Um, for those clients that are listening, you, you may have come into my boardroom and see a crystal ball, actually. But I've never known how to, how to use that. You don't and, know how to uh, plug it in. <laughs> somebody will have to teach me how to. But um, at, you know what? There, there is a lot of signs that it's starting to work now. 
Um, we're starting to see even uh, unemployment rates are starting to rise slightly. And again, this week, 40,000 jobs were lost across Canada. That's again, uh, a reaction to the increase of interest rates. So we're starting to see some effects. It generally takes 18 to 24 months for interest rate increases or decreases to have an effect on the economy. So it isn't a knee jerk reaction, but you're starting to see some cracks in the walls. And there is some talk that they can see the hump is getting a lot closer. So to go into double digits, uh, like, you know, going back to, and Scott, you and I both saw those. Yeah. We, we would have loved to have seen a 10% mortgage at one time. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Okay, we talked about uh, traditionally, historically low uh, uh, unemployment rates uh, coming out of the pandemic, actually below 5%. Now, they're still incredibly low at 5.4%, but it is on the way up. Uh, you mentioned that earlier. It, 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 what sort of indicator is this? What does it say about the economy? And are we, you know, with what we're going through with inflation and trying to get a handle on that, is it affecting, uh, is it going to affect the employment rate yeah it will affect uh, employers uh, as as the economy slows down they're thinking okay we don't need to hire as as many people mm-hmm. or if people retire they may not replace them so that there is some effects and you're also seeing some of the pandemic hires that were taking place uh, a good example of shopify it did extremely well that company during the pandemic because everybody was um, buying goods online um, but now they were shedding uh, around 10% of their workforce because of the slowdown in that sector. So you're seeing some things, but at the, my, my, I, I'm actually fairly positive. I think this is a, a good thing. I'm glad to see that they are, you know, take, trying to get a handle on this by increasing rates and not letting it get out of control. And, you know, and real estate prices, I know it's for those that bought, uh, you know, late in the game, yeah. to see them to buy it at a million dollars and now see your house may not be worth that much. I know there's pain there. But real estate prices shouldn't go up 53% in two years. So this was, again, a lot of this was fueled by the low interest rate. So it is kind of a sense to try to get to normalcy. And inflation at 2% is their target. And we're well away from that. So we'd like to see at least steady if not start to drop. You've often talked about the emotion with money and such, and and unfortunately that's what happened at the end of this pandemic when we saw housing rates go up and up and up and up. And rather than people taking a pause and stepping back and saying, I'm going to see if they come down, you know, there was the thought, they're never coming down, and I've got to buy now before they get even higher. (laughs) And this is so cyclical, isn't it? It always is. And there's that, you know, fear and greed uh, the, hmm. the big emotions of humans, and they are just terrible emotions for investing. And housing turned into more of an investment proposition yeah. rather than something, so, rather than a place to live. So almost everybody you talk to, oh yeah, I just got an investment property. Oh yeah, I just put, I bought a, you know, put a down payment on a condo. Um, and, and this was just normal talk, as if this is a normal thing to do. It wasn't really meant. It wasn't there for housing per se. And then you're seeing parents saying, I got to get my kids into their house before, yeah. well, they can still afford it. I got to help them. So uh, parents were helping millennial kids. Uh, generally, uh, 40 to 50% of all houses in that area, age group, were being helped by parents. So there were so many forces at work, investors, and mm. that euphoric feeling, I have to get in. Um, and they didn't want to lose out. And those are all, you know, when there's that much emotion, in, in uh, any kind of investment, it's never a good thing. 
Don Fox with us, executive financial consultant with Fox Group, uh, IG Private Wealth Management, and starting this Saturday morning, 8 a.m., some brand new shows on planning your financial future. Don, as always, thanks for the time. We'll chat Saturday. You bet. Thanks, Scott. We heard that uh, on Elton John's last show in Toronto last night on Thursday, he called uh, Queen Elizabeth inspiring presence in his life. There's been tributes uh, pouring in from all over the music world, including Mick Jagger, Liam Gallagher, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, just to name a few. What's with the royals in rock and roll? Wasn't it always anti-establishment? Let's bring in Eric Alper, publicist and music commentator. He's with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Everything is great. So except, you're, you know, sorry, yes. except we're missing the queen. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's funny eh? how uh, we've, you know, she's 96. We're all expecting this yet. We're still shocked when it happens. Uh, how did, how did the Royals break the, the rock and roll mold? Cause the rock and roll was always anti-establishment. Yeah. Until you start to get wealthy being anti-establishment um you know her coronation started in 1953 and that's when artists like chuck berry and little richard came from the u.s to the uk to perform and in the audiences were very much impressionable teenagers like um paul mccartney and john lennon and Mm -hmm. and Mick jagger and keith richard and about a decade later they all started to form bands based on these u.s artists so that's where you got the beatles and the rolling stone and led zeppelin and that's when it became cool to be british you had the beatles Mm -hmm. in the movies with help in a hard day's night you had you know the swagger of 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 uh of the rolling stone and then in the 70s and 80s you had you know, the British flag in the videos of Amy Winehouse and Adele. But you're right. There's a moment in time around the 70s when it wasn't very cool to be associated with the Queen and Monarchy. You had the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen. And then in the 80s, you had the Smiths with their album, The Queen is Dead, certainly one of the most popular albums of of, of that era. So it kind of depended what was going on too. You know, when in the 70s, high unemployment, huge racial division um, and the have and have nots and Margaret Thatcher's election when didn't help. But early on in the 60s, it was it was pretty cool. It's funny. I, re- I like. I remember the old clip of the Beatles uh, playing uh, before royalty, and yeah. you know, applause or and the people in the balconies can rattle your your, your jewelry, yeah. uh, which was just uh, you know a historic line way back then. Yeah. It still is today. Just, but the funny you, thing is, what's it like now? What was it been like now for Paul McCartney to meet the Queen, and they're both got gray hair, and you know, oh, you smart ass <laughs> little boys, you were making fun of us then. Look at you now. Right. And, you know, he called her a pretty nice girl in the song <laughs> Her Majesty on Abbey Road. And, uh, you know, but, you know, when she started Tonight Artist around yeah. 1997, um, Cliff Richard, Tom Jones, Bob Geldof, Mick Jagger, David Bowie, who turned it down, and Paul McCartney, those were all people who she probably vacationed on the same island with, yeah. you know? And then with the CBE, which was the commander of the Order of the British Empire, which is, you know, the le- the the one below, it was Roger Daltrey and the Bee Gees and, and Eric Clapton and Sting and Robert Plant. So she knew the cultural significance of the exporting of British music, not only mm. to America, but to the rest of the world. Although that she wasn't you know really really hip to it all because she was a little bit older but her sister you know her, uh, that was that was the one that 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 kind of shocked a lot of people because you know her sister margaret 
um, appeared in the band in the Beatles help set and mm. hung out with Ringo when he was doing the Magic Christian back in the late 1960s. Mm. So she was kind of like, I wouldn't say that she's a groupie, but she yeah. certainly loved rock and roll, maybe a little bit more than the Queen did. And then obviously with Charles and the charities, it, it just seemed yeah. like a natural fit. Yeah, the Charles was was one of the really big um, examples of using of knowing that he wasn't going to be king for a long time. So he better figure out how to use his power and his wealth and his fame in order to put the spotlight on others. And one of the big annual concerts is called the Princess Trust Gala. And mm. that's where Phil Collins and Sting and Clapton and McCartney, the big names of the day, all raise money for the various charities that absolutely do phenomenal work over there. So Charles also, I mean, Charles and Diane, uh, Charles and Diana appeared in Live Aid, although uh, you know a little bit might have been just Diana wanting to hang out with Duran Duran and hmm. and other artists. But you know he he was a kind of young guy as well, and and he kind of understood that he needs to have, um, you know that cultural revolution of the young people, despite, you know, Billy Bragg or the Stone Roses writing really hateful vengeance songs about them. And there's something to be said about that too. Obviously we're still in a period of mourning, but where do you think that goes moving forward? Do, do they embrace this or do they reject it? No, I, I think they, they go full on. If you're an artist right now, um, there's not a whole lot of bad stuff that you can say about Charles because he has put mm. the work effort into the last 35, 40 years of, of the Princess Trust and, and a number of other concerts uh, involving Ed Sheeran and the newer artists. So, no, I, I think their place um, uh, in, in the importance of royal family when it comes to music, it's set. And it was set thanks to, thanks to you know, Elizabeth and Margaret. Eric Alper with us, publicist, music commentary, talking about the Royals and rock and roll and uh, how it's, it seems to be one now, especially as uh, Eric put it, they're rich. That's Johnny Lydon from the Sex Pistols today tweeted out condolences to the Queen. So if he can change, anybody can change. Wow, there you go. Thanks, Eric. As always, have a great weekend. You too. Thanks for having me. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. You might remember that uh, last week, earlier on in the week, we were chatting about a legendary uh, a news anchor that uh, had been in the position for a while and was uh, basically fired for uh, business reasons, as it always is. And, of course, we're talking about Lisa Laflamme. And there was a huge backlash about ageism and sexism and hair color and all, corns, all sorts of things like this. Um, that being said, the media has been on a massive downsizing kick for a long time. And uh, the list of uh, former employees, journalists, what have you, is uh, as long as uh, Lisa Laflamme's leg. That being said, said many wondered where she would end up and often when you fire somebody in the media business they just knock on the door across the road uh and boy this didn't take long as city news city tv news has announced that they have uh hired uh, lisa laflemme to uh provide in-depth coverage of the next 10 days what is happening with the, the uh, uh the queen's funeral and memorials and such across all of their platforms uh for the next 10 days so you have to be wondering what they're thinking about at, at CTV right now and certainly in the boardrooms of Bell Media. Uh, to talk more about all of this, the legendary Bill Brio is with us, TV critic and author, and you can find out more at brio.tv. He's with us now. Bill, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. 
I'm doing well, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very fine, and thanks for taking the time to to chat with us. We haven't talked to you about this. First of all, what was your thought on the initial situation and now her being rehired for coverage of the Queen? I just think it's uh, as the British say, it's brilliant. You know, it is, brilliant. isn't it? It, it is. is because you know you expect if you're a Canadian TV watcher, you, you expect to see Lisa Laflamme somewhere uh, Trafalgar Square or Buckingham Palace covering this. Uh, you know, every time one of the corgis died or one of the polo ponies, <laughs> yeah. they'd fly Lisa Laflamme to to London. So, uh, my God, hats off to uh, the folks at Rogers City News. We'll have her now on breakfast television on uh, the radio and TV, on anything that moves. And I just think this is a very savvy move. Uh, Incredibly savvy. Surprised that they were the ones to do it and not the other big ones, whether it's Global or CBC. I'm sure there's been discussions. You know, I'm sure Lisa's phone's been running, (laughs) ringing off the hook ever since it was announced that uh, she was departing CTV. Uh, And, you know, sometimes there's these contractual uh, ex- things where people aren't allowed to appear on another mm. network, you know. So obviously there was a window for her to listen to other people or to to, uh, to embark on this. Uh, you notice in their uh, the release today from Rogers, the word anchor is missing. Uh, you know they have mm. her as a special special correspondent, but I'm sure other people reached out as well. Uh, and I just think um, I think you know often when there's a crisis or some big news event. A lot of uh, listeners, readers, uh, and TV viewers especially tend to return to CBC News. Uh, So their anchor, also a woman, is in place, and they're anxious to promote her. Uh, And I just think that uh, City Rogers had an opportunity here, and they really went for it. Um, It it was interesting what you said about watching the coverage because it's just, you you know, immediately people start watching their old favorites or listening to their old favorites or what have you. And I'm watching CTV and the first thing I noticed was that she was missing because it just didn't seem as full. And no disrespect to the person uh, who has taken her place. Those are massive shoes to fill. Um, But, you know, obviously somebody at Rogers City was sitting there thinking, you know, oh, my goodness um i'm gonna jump on this right away they saw the same thing that everybody else did but acted yeah and you know the ctv folks um there's a cardinal rule you know whenever there's change especially in news there is an impact and generally it's a long for 60 year tradition you lose 10 percent of your viewers at the right away Mm. so people make change you know it's something that they're carefully thought out uh, the ratings since it was announced that Lisa Laflamme had been fired uh, in the first two weeks, the last part of August, if you look at the number August 15 and then August 28, they're down 15%. And, you know, if you look at social media, a lot of folks are saying, I'm not watching this anymore because they did this because they, it looked like it was ageism or gray hair mm-hmm. or whatever. Whatever reason, people were outraged. And I really do think there has been an impact. And so this is an opening. This is an opportunity for others against the the network that was dominant in, in network news for decades. So it's a real, you know, pardon the pun with the queen, but there is a changing of the guard here as well. So do you think there a lot of this, the way it ended up, was contractual, like perhaps couldn't go to one of those others, the wording of a network or an anchor or this or that? I mean, is it, it would it be that fine to splitting hairs? Because you, you have to wonder how she's appeared so quickly back on TV. 
Right. And, uh, you know, I did make an inquiry or two. I have no knowledge. I could speculate, yeah. but I, I don't know uh, that for sure. But, uh, you know, it, it sounded like uh, from what I read and understood when she left CTV, there was some discussion. She was asked not to make the announcement for a matter of weeks. I'm yeah. sure lawyers were busy dotting I's and crossing T's. And I guess when that happened, uh, Laflamme's uh, folks made sure she would have an opportunity to work elsewhere should the occasion arise. Uh, you talked about ratings and such. CTV was always at the head of the pack there. Um, how do you think this affects all of that? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the morale and everything else. The headlines that came out in the days later, the meetings, uh, you know, you had the the, the, the fellow who decided, uh, it sounds like, that this was a change that was needed. He's now on leave. Yeah. Uh, it was like when the guy at Jeopardy tried to become host of Jeopardy. You know, yeah. like it was, it's, so it just had a smell to it that wasn't right. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly uh, an unusual place. CTV is dominant. Now, before I get carried away, they're still the most watched national network yeah. newscast. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Global's close behind which has been a while you know in terms of national news it's apples and oranges because everything happens some are at 11 some are at supper hour but uh cbc is at 10 but it's 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 interesting you know i think uh and even as you know scott you know i mean people get their news listening to you now or they get it from their uh phone social media all kinds of places so it's a these are challenging times for network national newscasts and you've got to be on your toes Bill Brio with us, TV critic and author, Brio.tv to find out more. Always fun, Bill. Thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. You too, Scott. All right, let's bring in Henry Jasek, professor of political science at McMaster University. A lot of stuff to talk about uh, as far as uh, the new legislation for the mayors of Toronto and Ottawa and an endorsement for one of the candidates running for mayor of Hamilton. Henry Jasek with us now. Henry, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing well, thank you. First of all, your thoughts, uh, Andrea Horvath, former leader of the NDP, also running for mayor, uh, gets an endorsement from Sheila Copps. Your thoughts? Well, I think that it's very, it's very powerful. Obviously, Sheila was talking about uh, ha- having a female uh, mayor and that we've never had one. So she, it's very good. But the also interesting thing is that, of course, Sheila Copps was a lifelong liberal, as was her father and uh, members of her family. So this show probably shows you that uh, there's likely to be a significant, you know, uh, group of people who are liberals who will look favorably upon upon Andrea Horvath. So we know she's going to probably get a lot of people who voted for the NDP, a lot of labor people. But you build up a coalition, you know, when you're running for mayor, all different groups, and I think that... uh, that uh, sort of probably bodes well. We know a lot of women are in favor of her, but really the impor- interesting thing here is that we're having liberal, uh, a liberal uh, star from the past. Uh, surprised that that has happened, considering two different political parties here, one liberal, one NDP, as you mentioned, although uh, obviously in a municipal election that is not the emphasis, that is not uh, uh, mm-hmm. really the protocol. But that being said, as you did, as you, as you mentioned, it still is a, a, an endorsement from another a member of a political party. Uh, it does draw in more to the mix, that is for sure. Uh, but are you surprised with the crossing of those lines or at this level, irrelevant? No, this happens. We see this happens. And, uh, you know, there are there have been two factions inside the Liberal Party uh, at all levels in the city and actually in the province. Uh, And uh, 
she, you know, she's uh, certainly uh, the uh, uh, cops uh, was a, a progressive liberal, so mm-hmm. she didn't. It wasn't far for her to go. Although, you know, I know at times in the past when she had her uh, differences with. Uh, uh, Prime Minister Martin, who was from the more conservative side of the Liberal Party, she had thought of leaving the party and uh, going over to the Liberals, over to the NDP, sorry, but she never did that. Uh, she just couldn't bring herself to do it, but she, she publicly did say that she thought about that really hard. So, uh, yeah, I, so I'm not surprised when progressive liberals, and there there are a lot of progressive liberals in, in the city of Hamilton, and so she likely will, you know, she had a good following uh, among them, certainly when she was run, uh, holding down uh, her office, you know, her MPP, MP job, and uh, so she probably is going to sway a lot of people, too, as well, that, that are uh, progressive liberals. Does this solidify her as the front-runner? Well, I would think, yeah, I think Andrea went into it as the front runner because mm-hmm. uh, she'd been in the news so much because of the, you know, she was leader of the NDP provincially, and uh, she, you know, she's, and of course she always, you know, she always, you know, tried to build up uh, the image of Hamilton when she was in that job, even though she wasn't, you know, holding a Hamilton you know, political job, but she was a you know leader of the NDP for the whole province. But she always was very positive about uh, doing things for Hamilton and was always boosting them. So I think she went into you know she has had that long that history really of being a, a, a big booster of of Hamilton, and I think that's really helped her. What about those that say you know if you fail in provincial politics, you can always go back to municipal? That rubs some people the wrong way. Yeah, but a lot. But on the other hand, a lot of people are successful. I mean, we yeah. can look at a lot of people. Oh, listen, we have we have a former John Tory. <laughs> John Tory's a great example. We have on our own council here in Hamilton. We have a former conservative uh, cabinet minister under Mike Harris, uh, who is uh, you know on on the council. And uh, and you look at other places. Uh, we have a mayor. The mayor of Cambridge is a former liberal. She's become the mayor there. We have. Uh, I'm pretty certain the mayor down at uh, down in Saint Saint um, uh, Saint Catharines. Uh, I'm pretty certain he's he's the mayor or or head of a, a, a some organization, political organization down there. But yeah, we have that all across the province. People people go go to it and actually they they enjoy it because now of course uh, it's one thing to be a cabinet minister you know which is an important job in queen's park but of course when you're mayor you're number one you know you're at the top of the pecking order so it's uh you're down at a lower level but now you're uh you're you're a bigger fish it'll be interesting to hear what andrea's take is on the strong mayor's legislation toronto and ottawa obviously there's uh changing in the works to give the mayors more power uh this in regard to the housing situation, trying to break up some of the juggernauts and that happens in the NIMBYism within cities and city councils and such. Um, uh, what do you think? Well, I guess we should ask her, so we'll save that question for her. Yeah. Your thoughts on this and, and, and what it will mean. Will we see more of this? Will we see, for example, uh, the mayor of, uh, of Hamilton uh, be given this power? Well, I think it depends on what, who the mayor is and what their whether they're likely to be uh, willing to you know play ball with the premier the premier has a problem uh that he that he that he's defined as there's not enough housing uh in the province for people who want it and the two big problems the two biggest problems from his point of view are Toronto and uh and Ottawa and he needs he needs he, he just thinks there's too many regulations in both cities that prevent housing from being built 
and he, you know, and that's, of course, uh, the the people who are the, you know, members uh, of the councils in those cities who, who represent those areas are likely to be resistant to changing anything mm-hmm. because they're, you know, the people in their riding, their areas, you know, don't want, uh, you know, don't want any changes. So he's hoping that uh, he can get a mayor in there who's going to overrule them and, and start building those houses. So, you know, they're, so whether it'll come to us or not, I don't know, but certainly he probably thinks that if John Tory stays on as mayor, he probably is going to be able to, you know, be able to have somebody who who thinks like him generally that they they need more housing in the city. Now, and up in Ottawa, we don't know who's going to finally be the mayor up there, but maybe he has some some hopes there. On the other hand, he may not be sure who's you know who's going to wind up mayor here in Hamilton and whether whether he can uh, you know count on them to support his own position. And I think. You know, he's probably waiting to see how how the election turns out here. It's going to be um, fascinating, though, Henry. I've yet to hear any mayor speak out against this, except for the mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson, who, of course, is not running. running. He's not running. But, uh, you know, even others have not thrown this out. It's amazing how uh, it is being received. Yeah, I have a feeling a lot of mayors... You know, want to say, well, I don't really need it and all that. Yeah, but, but then love it. But yeah, but they they really in their heart of hearts, you know, it's they they really love it. I I think you you hit a good spot there. You know, yeah, they they really like it, but they don't want to show that, that yeah. they really like it. So something you have to oftentimes see issues where people, you know, where people are you know evading taking a you know really revealing their real position <laughs> and they but uh, but in fact they're hoping that uh, it actually goes through and a lot of that happens in politics of course in politics people. saying in politics saying you don't want any more power is like saying you don't want any more money yeah well, <laughs> like, like, a, like a business person saying oh i've already made my 5 million i don't need <laughs> exactly. any more millions but I, I don't, quite frankly oh. i've you know i've met people who are very very rich and they're always telling me they're paying too many taxes and they need more <laughs> they need more money and I I'm looking at them. They own three houses, and they're flying all around the world all the time, and they're on jets. You know, they don't take even commercial, first-class commercial jets. They're flying on on private jets all around the world. And I say, oh my God! I mean, they got so much money, and uh, and but they always they always want more. <laughs> Always the case. Henry Jasek, professor of political science, McMaster University, talking about the strong mayor's legislation uh, that may be coming through for Toronto and Ottawa. And who knows, maybe even Hamilton. Henry, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Okay, you enjoy the weekend. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. Uh, obviously, we're all uh, aware of the passing of the Queen and uh, and the 10 days of mourning that continues now. Uh, what I think many people uh, found so astounding was even two days before she passed, she was still on the job and and was actually swearing in the uh, uh, or or uh, greeting rather the current Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, the new. Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, uh, Liz Truss, and, you know, was there in a kilt, looked pretty cool, looked pretty good, and uh, then all of a sudden we hear the tragic news that she has passed. But apparently, an Ontario bill was one, if not the last things, to be signed in with Queen Elizabeth's name in the entire Commonwealth. Uh, moments before the royal family had announced the death of Queen Elizabeth, Ontario's Lieutenant Governor was presiding over a ceremony at Queen's Park that will forever live in history. This is a very cool angle. Colin DeMello is with us. Queen's Park Bureau Chief for Global News. He's with us now. Colin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. 
I'm well, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is a great angle. So how did you, how did this uh, come about? How did you realize this? Tell us the story here. So there was a flurry of activity happening at Queen's Park yesterday in the afternoon at about, or mid-morning, I should say, at about 11 o'clock, 11.30 or so, the government had passed a piece of legislation. Now, the way a, a bill becomes a law in Ontario is once it's passed by the legislature, it has to go to the Queen or the Queen's representative to actually get the stamp of approval. It's called mm. royal assent. Without mm-hmm. royal assent, no bill can actually become law. Uh, a government can just pass as many bills as they want, but, but without royal assent, it doesn't actually become the law of the land. So at about just before 1.30 in the afternoon, they were scheduled, the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing was scheduled to meet with the Lieutenant Governor, Elizabeth Dowdswell, to get this seal of approval. They get into this grand room and this, you know, this this room is a very formal room, right? Mm. Uh, one that really speaks to the fact that this is the Queen's representative here in Ontario. It's got lots of portraits of former lieutenant governors, and it's got a portrait of the Queen herself hanging over a very ornate fireplace. It was in this very beautiful room that the lieutenant governor meets with the uh, the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, and she realizes that they don't know what's actually happening over in um, in London or in Scotland at, at hmm. Balmoral Place. So the lieutenant governor nods for royal assent. But before she picks up her pen and before she signs to actually give royal assent in the name of the queen, she reminds the ministers of the importance of this moment, of the gravity of the moment, of what they're actually doing, signing something, proclaiming something into law on behalf of Her Majesty. And moments after Elizabeth Dowdswell signed that piece of legislation into law, somebody came bursting into the room because it was at that point that the royal family had announced on social media that the queen, in fact, had taken her last breath. She had passed away. And so they very quickly realized that what they had just signed was the very last piece of law signed perhaps in the Commonwealth Hmm. in the name of Her Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II. Wow, what a great story. I have shivers up my spine listening to you tell that, Colin. Uh, so what happens with the role of the lieutenant governor, even the governor general, moving forward now that we've gone from Queen Elizabeth to King Charles? Yeah, so we're trying to figure out exactly all of the changes that are going to be happening. I mean, the first thing is that, you know, everything that's done in the Ontario legislature has been done, you know, for uh, the 70 uh, years in the name of Her Majesty. That will now mm-hmm. obviously change to His Majesty. Everything is now done in the name of King Charles III. And nothing much of the procedure really changes uh, except for, you know, one major thing. Uh, once a month or so, when the legislature is in session, they have been singing God save the queen now that Hmm. will obviously change to god save the king um there might be some insignias or some things that will be changing for example there is a portrait of queen elizabeth ii just outside of the ontario legislature so everyone knows you know what business is being done is being done in her name that Hmm. will have to be changed to the portrait of king charles the third they're waiting for an official portrait to be printed um that will come from a buckingham palace uh, and that will be hung outside the legislature. So small things like that. I think we're, we're largely still trying to figure out what major changes will have to be made here in Ontario. For example, will the patches that police wear, the OPP wear as an example, will they have to change? Will, will certain names of things like roads or highways or bridges have to be changed uh, to honor mm. the king rather than the queen? Those are the things we're still trying to figure out. Queen's Park itself 
that was named after Queen Victoria, uh, the Queen's right. great-grandmother, so not so that won't be changed at all. Uh, but one major thing we're tracking here, back in 2016, there was a um, uh, an actual statue of Queen Elizabeth that was commissioned. That statue is in the process of being completed, and now the government is trying to figure out exactly what the placement of it is going to be, the uh, the base of the statue that has to be commissioned, um, and, and all of that. So they're hoping that a statue will be unveiled sometime next year, but that, I think, will be you know one of the perfect touches um, to and, and, and a great memorial to have to Queen Elizabeth II. It'll be interesting to see, Colin, if this piece of legislation, uh, how much historic value, significance it holds, if it will be verified as, in fact, the last piece of legislation, and if that gets put on display or some sort of other uh, uh, notoriety because of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's important to note that the piece of legislation was Bill 3, which is a strong mayor's bill, which gives the mayor right. of Toronto and Ottawa, uh, you know, a lot of powers, veto powers over city council. What an interesting a, bill for that to happen on. Yeah, it's a controversial bill. Uh, certainly, you know, I'm not sure of necessarily if, uh, <laughs> you know, the monarch would have agreed or disagreed with the substance of the legislation. But certainly here in Ontario, you know, I, I've spoken to a couple of cabinet ministers, I've spoken to uh, the speaker of the legislature. I've spoken to um, uh, Her Honor Elizabeth Dowdswell as well, and all of them kind of agree that there was significance in this moment. There was significance in this legislation being passed here. And in fact, when I raised it with the lieutenant governor yesterday, she was choked up just thinking about Mm. the significance of the moment. So it's not lost in anyone here at Queen's Park that perhaps in all of the Commonwealth, this one piece of legislation passed in Ontario may have been the very final bill actually signed into law um, in, in the name of Queen Elizabeth II. Cool story. Colin DeMello with us, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at Global News. You can watch more on Global Tonight on all of this. Colin, thanks for the time as always. Have a great weekend. Thank you for having me. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. So obviously, uh, the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth in a period of 10 days of mourning uh, in honoring the uh, life and times of Queen Elizabeth II. I'm sitting in my office today and I'm, you know, I'm going through my old-fashioned Rolodex. No. And I'm trying to think, who do I know? Who do I know that has has had a brush with royalty, that has talked to royalty, that has met, saw royalty? And there's only one person that came to mind, and that's Ron Foxcroft. And uh, he had a great reason for being there. Ron Foxcroft is with us now. Ron, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing well, and it's my pleasure, especially to tribute uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth Scott, and you're right. Uh, We did, uh, Colonel Kennedy and Colonel Hatfield and I, we did have a private audience with Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth in her apartment with her corgi dogs. And um, it was following the uh, the tragic death, of course, mm. of uh, Corporal Nathan Cirillo. And uh, Scott, for your listeners, the the Queen, Her Majesty, was the honorary Colonel of the Argyle Regiment in Hamilton, mm. Ontario. Yep. She was actually appointed by her father, the King, when she was a princess, prior to her becoming Queen. When she became Queen. She was so proud to be the colonel-in-chief of the Argyle Regiment in in Hamilton because she loved 
Hamilton, she continued to this and, until her her death to be the the colonel in chief of the Argyle Regiment. So we were there, walked into her apartment. Who her two corgi dogs were sitting there, and I had strict instructions: don't touch the queen. Hmm. And it, the minute I walked into her gorgeous apartment, of course you're very very nervous, Scott. You can imagine. Yeah. She held out her hand to shake my hand, and for a second I remembered the instructions: <laughs> don't don't touch the queen. However, I shook her hand and she said, "Colonel, it's my pleasure, and I want to express condolences." To the family of Corporal Nathan Cirillo, she named Marcus, who was Nathan's son, four years mm. old at the time, and wow. the entire family. And, and you know, Scott, Her Majesty was so intelligent, so prepared, and she knew everything about the Argyle Regiment, about Corporal Cirillo, about his family, about the incident, and so on and so on. And also, too, Scott, I, I was so proud to hear her say, you know, uh, her words, Canada is my second home, hmm. and I love Canadians. Just a remarkable, uh, beyond remarkable person, a remarkable leader. And Scott, I would say most of your listeners don't know of any other monarch, of any other queen in their life. So when you hear of the news that we heard yesterday, immediately your your mind must go back to that meeting. It did. I reflected. Scott, I was at a celebration of life in Calgary yesterday with her honor, Lois Mitchell, the former lieutenant governor of of Alberta. Mm-hmm. And we were there to uh, for a celebration of life for her husband, Doug Mitchell, former CFL commissioner. Right. I walked into the room and her honor, Lois Mitchell, advised me that the queen had just passed away. And Scott, uh, we were stunned, we were sad, we were disappointed. And um, I started to reflect on all the things that happened because in the audience we had with her May 19th, 2015, we were supposed to be 10 minutes. But she had a magic way to make you feel comfortable knowing, obviously, that you were nervous. Mm. Uh, the the um, audience actually la- lasted 50 minutes to an hour when she said, after she expressed condolences, would you like to see my garden? And, of course... <laughs> We looked at her garden and her lawn, and and she said, you know, that's my John Deere right over there. I cut this corner, that corner of my lawn, so I can take my corgi dogs out. Now, Scott, I uh, I have emailed Buckingham Palace today. My concern because I love those dogs, who's yeah. going to take care of the dogs? Mm-hmm. And I have not heard from a, a reply from Buckingham Palace, but I understand by listening to 900CHML that perhaps one of the grandchildren will take mm-hmm. ownership and care of those corgi dogs because she worshipped those dogs as the dogs worshipped her. Ron Foxcroft with us, sharing stories of his meeting with the Queen involving the Argyle Regiment and her being the head of that and still very, very fond of it uh, right to the end. Ron, as always, thanks so much for the time and stories. Much appreciated. Be well. Have a great weekend. My pleasure, Scott. 
All right, let's bring in Tim Powers, Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. Uh, we always love talking politics, but I'm sure it'll take a, uh, a royal slant today. Tim is with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, Scott. You? So far, so good. What's the buzz like in the nation's capital when we hear news like this? Uh, well, it's not often we do, uh, but certainly the passing of Queen Elizabeth at 96. Um, I, I mean, this is a city that's welcomed the Queen and her family many times. I, I think, like so much of the rest of the country, of course, you and Hamilton have done the same thing. You've the royal members of the royal family there. A lot of people are... People are, are, are mourning, uh, if by and large. People are reflecting, uh, and I, I mean, her death is an exceptional moment in history because, as you said, uh, particularly you and I were of the same age. She's the only queen uh, we've ever known, and it's a big change. So people are trying to figure out what that means, and I think the last thing I'd say, Scott, is she, I think she really deserved the credit that she's getting for transcending the institution and being somebody who so many people admire for her dignity, her class, her work ethic, uh, and her just commitment to both her family and, and her countries that she was the sovereign for. And you think of what she has seen over the oh uh, over the time. I mean, you watch the old clips. It's it's the queen looks the same. What keeps changing is the styles, the haircuts, the uh, cars, whatever. It, it's amazing to think of what she lived through. Many have described it as the end of an era. What does that mean of the era that is coming? What do we look forward to? Is this a period of uneasiness? I think it's a period of uncertainty. I, I, I saw Charles's message today, and I think he tried to strike the right tone. But mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I think he's going to be going to be challenged uh, in terms of developing the same level of respect uh, for for the leadership that the, the world had for Queen Elizabeth, which in turn probably means a challenge to the validity of the monarchy you know, in Canada and elsewhere. We saw. What happened in Jamaica last year and other places in the Caribbean? Uh, sorry, not Jamaica. It was one. You know, it was Jamaica, wasn't it? That they uh, they uh, ended the relationship with the the Commonwealth and the Queen. So I think he's going to be dealing with more of that, um, and uh, and and that's going to come probably sooner rather than later. What have we seen in our politics and the politics around the world? challenges to the institutions that have been our fabric for so long. And in Canada, the the royal family and the monarchy has been a key part of our institutional culture. Uh, Ten days of mourning. How does that change the politics of the day? Does it continue or does it go on pause? Obviously, the Conservatives of uh, Conservative Party of Canada uh, going to announce a leader this weekend. Uh, There's chatter of them putting that off or downplaying it. How does it change the tone? Yeah, I think it does. I, I, I think this is a period where you got to be careful if you're a politician not to overreach in, in cozying up with the, uh, the, the, the symbolism and the power of, of the queen. Equally, you don't want to be hauling yourself into the vile and vile, uh, normal day-to-day stuff of partisan politics. I mean, it's it's a real interesting challenge for whoever wins tomorrow night for the Conservatives, particularly if it's Pierre Polyev, and that's what everyone expects uh, today, Scott, that he'll win. You know, normally in a leadership convention when the leader is crowned after they've said the nice things about their opponents, 
they go pretty hard, or sorry, after their opponents of the day, they go pretty hard after their mainstream political opponents. I think Polyev's got to be really careful with that tomorrow. I think he's got to read the room. Uh, so, you know, you might see politics, uh, the normal cut and thrust and blood and guts that we've seen be put on hold for 10 days, and that's not a terrible thing. We could all deserve a break from it and reflect on the significance of the transition we're going through. Uh, the Prime Minister spoke yesterday about how she was one of his uh, favorite people. Uh, we've had some email that said he or they, the government, didn't adequate, adequately celebrate uh, the Jubilee. Your thoughts on that? I mean, did we do enough? Yeah. Do we do enough in the Commonwealth? I, I, I don't know. That cuts a whole bunch of different ways, right? Yeah. Um, because equally, you have... Uh, indigenous peoples who uh, were not very happy when Charles was here, because he was here in the mm. spring, if you recall, and yep. didn't think they went far enough. Remember, the criticism at the time was that uh, they needed a full apology from the sovereign, which was never going to come. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, that, to be fair to the government uh, and any government, given the climate in which we live and the struggles we have in Canada, with indigenous reconciliation and and understanding it, we probably it was more muted, and that was probably the right approach for the time. Uh, considering where Canada is with reconciliation, does this change this moment? It may. I mean, it it, it creates. Uh, I mean, although Charles was just here, right? So he mm-hmm. he's now king. So. Uh, he now has obviously more authority potentially to say things, but I, yeah, so I don't think it will change given the, the prince who was here representing the crown is now the crown. So probably it doesn't. I think your real chance of the change will come with the, the next sovereign, um, after Charles, if there is a next sovereign after Charles, but, uh, that probably is cold comfort to indigenous peoples. Tim Powers with us, Chairman Summa Strategies, Managing Director, Abacus Data, talking about the news of the day involving the passing of the Queen and how it affects politics. Tim, thank you for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. You too, my friend. Bye. Earlier this afternoon, Mayor Fred Eisenberger joined other officials to open and sign a public book of condolences for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth. This is all at City Hall. To talk more about all of this, Mayor for the City of Hamilton, Fred Eisenberger, and he's with us now. Mayor Fred, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, Very well, Scott. Thank you. Your thoughts when you heard this news and what this meant to you, especially, you know, being a family that uh, immigrated from the Netherlands and such. What, what are your thoughts when you heard the news? Well, first, firstly, a realization that uh, this queen became queen uh, the year I was born in 1952, just a couple mm-hmm. of months before uh, my birth. So she's been uh, in my life. And, and I think that's the case for many uh, of us baby boomers, actually. Uh, for all of that time, as uh, you know, the sovereign, the, uh, the titular head of uh, the Commonwealth, and uh, you know, I, I've grown to uh, to appreciate appreciate that uh, monarchy and the pomp and circumstance of it all, and the great traditions of it all, more and more over the years. So, a great loss. Uh, you know, you can only you can only you know compliment someone that's been in a leadership position for seventy years and to do mm. it with such grace and style. Uh, you know, seeing uh, seeing England and the Commonwealth through, uh, you know, a, a war and pandemics and all kinds of calamities over the years. And so, uh, you know, hats off to her uh, 
her courage and tradition of uh, you know leadership that uh, I think has, uh, has has served us well over the years in terms of consistency, and there's some some value to that. Uh, so she'll be missed. Uh, I think it's emotional for a lot of people uh, today. It's uh, been part of our lives, and I think uh, you know we've lost a little something uh, today or yesterday. It's amazing when you stop to think of how many leaders, how, whether they're political figures, what have you, over the years that she has met. And it's bizarre watching the film footage of this, the video footage of this, because the Queen, for the most part, stays the same through all of this, but times change, the styles change, uh, the cars change, everything changes. She's seen mm-hmm. so much in her time. Yeah, and, and uh, certainly that consistency, actually, has there's just some comfort to that. As as the world changes and you know leaders come and go in countries uh, around the world, uh, all of them that uh, have spent time with uh, Her Majesty, uh, you know, over the years, and uh, I'm sure I've had some wise counsel from her as well, having given her experience of you know many many years of involving herself in international issues. So that consistency, I think, has uh, has enormous value, and certainly the uh, the, the pageantry, the uh, the traditions that permeate our country. Quite frankly, we you know we have a governor general that you know, ostensibly mm-hmm. is appointed by the queen, and lieutenant governors in every province, uh, and we have a parliamentary system that uh, you know has has been part of our political system, uh, you know, for for the time of uh, confederation. And so, uh, you know, we are steeped in the kind of British parliamentary monarchy system. And uh, I, for one, have come to appreciate the, 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 the tradition of it all and the consistency that the Queen and the royal family brings to it. So how can Hamiltonians uh, convey their condolence to, uh, condolences? Tell us about this book. Yeah, we've uh, we've set up uh, you know a book at the uh, in the foyer on the ground floor of city hall. So if you come in through the front doors, it's uh, you know just just in behind the stairs. We were uh, we we had uh, the lieutenant colonel Carlo Titarelli there, who's the commanding officer of the Argyles, which is one of the mm-hmm. regiments that uh, is under the Queen, as well as the honorary colonel Glenn Gibson, and our police chief, Frank Bergen, and deputy chief, Ryan Diodati, there today to sign the book. And some guests, actually, were did pop in. And, uh, and folks can come in, uh, you know, regular business days, Monday to Friday, until the, uh, the, uh, the actual funeral uh, from uh, 8.30 to 4.30. And this weekend, uh, from 11 to 3, the city hall the front doors will be open for folks that want to write a memorial or an anecdote to... Uh, to share that we will then deliver to to the royal family after the uh, the funeral. So uh, when because I, I can imagine that one of these is in every city hall and everywhere across the country and such. What actually happens to these, Mayor? Any idea where they go? What happens uh, in them acknowledging that you've sent this? Uh, I have no doubt that we'll get an acknowledgement uh, from the from the yeah. royal family at some point uh, in the in the near future. And uh, I, I would imagine that the family will be greatly comforted by uh, the, the the breadth and widths of uh, mm. you know the emotions around the uh, the queen and and her longevity and and her length of service and her style and grace. And I, I imagine that they will be sitting down at some point, uh, you know, going over them and uh, mm. and hearing about some of the anecdotes that uh, people have shared when they met the queen 
uh, or when they, uh, you know, bumped into royalty in England or, or London or, you know, anything that they might, they might share in terms of how they've appreciated the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the monarchy. And, and, you know, we have a, we, Hamilton has a pretty strong connection at this yeah. point, uh, not, notwithstanding the fact that the Queen has been here a few times, as, as has Charles. Uh, Camilla is the great, great, great granddaughter of Sir Alan McNabb, our, our, one of our first prime ministers, and of course the, uh, the primary owner of uh, Dundurn Castle back then. I did not know that. I did not know that, Mayor Fred. Say yeah, that again. We, we, she is the great-great-great-granddaughter of Sir Alan McNabb. And wow. uh, Sir Alan McNabb was uh, the owner of Dundurn Castle, who was memorialized at Dundurn Castle and the family. And, um, and uh, when, when Prince Charles and Camilla visited, uh, we uh, were able to show her some of the portraits and paintings of her family history uh, in Dundurn Castle, and she was quite uh, quite taken and impressed by that. That is incredible. Um, we're, we certainly saw the Queen in, in, in the last couple of days uh, welcoming the new Prime Minister of uh, the UK, Liz Truss, but we're also understanding that one of the official documents, uh, speaking of our lieutenant, uh, lieutenant Governor that was signed, was an actual bill in Ontario, and it appeared, there's a great story, that you know this was all signed and okay by the Lieutenant Governor, uh, governor and then within moments mm-hmm. someone came through and said, my goodness, the Queen has passed away. There's a thought that this could be the last piece of legislation that would receive her royal assent, and it was in Ontario. Oddly enough, Fred, it was the mayor's uh, more power, um, giving more power to the to the mayor's act. So I'm not sure if there's any irony in there at all, Fred. Well, that is ironic for sure, and you know, and you have to think about you know all of the. The documents that uh, the Queen would have had to put her stamp on, uh, yeah. coming from not only Canada but uh, and this province, but uh, you know all the Commonwealth countries, uh, still remained a, a pretty significant responsibility. So uh, you know you got you got to think that uh, and be grateful for and you know the the, the ninety six years she was uh, she was with us and alive and and to be able to to your last day. Uh, do some official work and business uh, and have all your wits about you uh, doing it. it seemed to be the case for the Queen. Every time you saw her on television and, and recently welcoming the new Prime Minister, uh, she was all there. And, uh, yeah. you know, what a, what a fortunate thing for, for her and the family. And uh, certainly a fortunate thing for all of us. Wouldn't we all want to go uh, in our 96th year or 97th year in the same way? Well said. Fred Eisenberger with us, mayor for the city of Hamilton, and talking about the Queen and her passing in a official book of condolences that is waiting for you to sign at City Hall. Mayor Fred, as always, thank you for the time. Have a great weekend. Be well. Thank you, Scott. Scott Radley is with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up right after the 6 o'clock news. You can also read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He's with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Doing good. How are you doing? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, interesting enough, we had a great story from uh, Global's Colin DeMello earlier today uh, talking about what could have been the very last piece of legislation to receive royal assent and the Queen's stamp. Uh, and that happened earlier yesterday uh, at uh, Queen's Park at the Legislative Assembly. And then once that stamp was put on, uh, someone barged through the door and said, my goodness, the Queen has just passed away. And many are thinking that could be the actual last seal that is put down on a piece of legislation in her name. Uh, oddly enough, as I was talking with Mayor Fred just a few minutes ago, it was the more power for the mayor's bill. 
<laughs> that got the stamp, which is kind of ironic. Uh, but interesting that uh, Ontario could be attached to a piece of this history. I think a lot of people, a lot of places, a lot of businesses, a lot of everyone is going to find a connection yeah. to that history somewhere. We're going to yeah. find. I'm the last. I'm the first. I'm the. Yeah. I'm the first whose last name began with X. I'm the. Wait, I mean, whatever. You'll find. <laughs> everyone's going to find something. And and why not? I mean, it's, look, it's sure. Especially right. Hey, now, you got a whole movie for God's sake! Look at that. You got the you got the queen in a whole movie. That's true, uh, and I got to find that. I don't know where it is, but I know. I mean, I know it's out there. I know it's. Uh, you know, I know I'll, I'll find it somewhere. But yeah, I mean, everyone's gonna. We all we love to do this, and and I understand why because it it, it makes us feel like we've got a little tiny piece of a connection to something that matters. It, it's sure. why Scott, I've never understood why somebody would pay to buy an autograph from someone else. Hmm. Because the whole idea of an autograph is that thing to show that for a split second, for a moment in time, you and that famous person intersected. Good and point. To buy an autograph from someone, what's the point yeah. of that? What's it? I mean, you I didn't get it from valuable. him. Good point. Yeah, that's I interesting. I know it's valuable. Like, if you get William Shakespeare's autograph, I get that it's going to be worth a fortune. I'm not talking about that, per se. But what does, you know, what does it matter if you get someone's autograph that you never met? I don't, I don't understand that's, it. That's a very good point. Okay, so when we were in the midst of the global pandemic, everybody loved each other. We're banging pots and pans for the healthcare workers. There were, you know, when we could, we'd hug with a mask, whatever. And then, of course, uh, when it was all over, everybody's killing each other. Um, I'm exaggerating, of course. Uh, many people are saying right now what a great person she was, how she could uh, manage all of this through, you know, the span of 70 years and the various leaders and what have you. Um, but how much she cared, how much she gave. Are we going to learn from that, or is this the last of that we're going to see? Uh, well, I, I think um, I think Prince Chuck is going to. Uh, can we call him that? Can we call him Prince no, Chuck? I called him Prince Charles accidentally today. I did. I, I won already. Chuck. Yeah, yeah. King Chuck. Um, no, I, look, I think a lot King of it Chuck. is going to happen. It sounds like something you would get at a burger palace. You want the it King really Chuck, does. Scott? Get the King I'll, Chuck. Three patties. Yeah, double with cheese, please. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of that question is going to ride on how he does. Yeah. Because if, if, if in the first, and I mean, look, uh, we were on the show last night on my show, we were talking about this, and it's, it's really ironic. He has been apprenticing for this job yeah. for 70, 70 years. Yeah. And so, and yet, like, so nobody doesn't have an opinion of him. Nobody doesn't know him. And yet the first few days here, Somehow, in a weird way, he has an opportunity to make a first impression again. Yeah, and it's going to be so important because if if all of a sudden in the as everybody's tuned to this stuff, if people watch and they go, "Oh, I just I don't I don't like him," but you've got a problem. And, that- and but if people look at him and go, "You know what? Um, maybe he was staying in the background and doing his thing, and he wasn't really." Maybe he's not what I thought he was. Maybe he's a little more human, a little more personal. We'll see. But you know what? He he has a chance to answer your question. If he can come across as an extension, a continuation of that kindness and that serving others and all that stuff, if he can somehow do that, I think the answer to your question is no, it's not necessarily the end. But I don't know that he can do that. 
That's a great point. Uh, and in his first address, I thought he was quite um, uh, quite emotional, quite human, as you put it, even mentioning uh, all the kids and the family and their new roles Which and what have essential. you. Yes, yes. Essential. I mean, I don't know if he's an actor. I, again, we said this on the show last night. I don't know if he's an actor. Even if he has been so bred to have that stiff upper lip and don't show emotion. Yeah. yeah. I thought he showed I thought he showed some emotion uh oh, when he gave yeah, the speech. Certainly not as much as our prime minister, but he did show some emotion. Nobody shows as much emotion as our prime minister, but no, pull some white hairs, make yourself squeeze out a tear because that is going to go miles yeah. in today's yeah. world where you look like you care. That that's going to be a big deal. I did think though that it's amazing. You got to run. That, that our Prime Minister loved the Queen more than anyone else. He, I mean, everything is the biggest ever. It was his I favorite know. person on the whole planet. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until the next person is famous eyes, and that person was his famous favorite person on the whole planet. It's, there's no such thing as understatement, I guess. All right. I won't pile on that. Uh, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He's coming up next after the 6 o'clock news. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You too, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.